I, I feel like the power shifted back to the employers. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And it's kind of sad to go on LinkedIn uh, these days because I see so many uh, layoff posts, so many, what do you call those? The those green badges. Green yeah, yeah. The, the green, green badges. Uh, badges. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually hurts to see so many people going through that because it's not just somebody who doesn't have work. It's a household. It's almost traumatic experience. Welcome back to the Work From Home Forever podcast. Believe it or not, this is our final episode for season one. We are going to take a few weeks off and enjoy the summertime, and we will be back later in August with new professionals telling their remote work stories. On this episode, we have an amazing guest to wrap up season one, Sue. She's in talent acquisition, and I've been following Sue's posts on LinkedIn the last few months. Sue's headline is super interesting as she lists talent acquisition, aspiring stand-up comedian, and being secretly in love with UXR. So there's a lot to unpack here. So Sue, welcome to the show. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, folks. I'm Sue. I'm in talent acquisition. I'm an aspiring stand-up comedian, and I'm secretly in love with UXR. (laughs) Sorry, I just copied right away. But uh, I'm, I'm in Utah. I live by myself with my one dog, and that's one of the reasons why I love working from home. And I'm originally from Korea, but I've moved to the States probably 12 years ago. Yeah. And moved to Utah and have stayed here ever that since. Yeah. Perfect. Well, welcome, Sue. And actually, when you filled out the survey, you had exactly one reason, and that was because of your dog. So can you expand more on on, on wh- why that is? What's what's with the dog and, and the reason, you know, why is your dog your why to, to work from home? Yeah. I moved to my current place probably a little over two years ago, and I got my dog a little over two years ago. And growing up, I always had a dog, and I knew how much work it was to get a dog. So when I knew that I was going to live by myself and get my own place, I said, no, I'm not getting a dog. But then my sister rescued this puppy She's in Korea. All of, all of my family is back in Korea. So she rescued this puppy, shared pictures, and I fell in love with this dog. So we, I told her, because she was looking for a, a family who would adopt the puppy, and because it was mixed breed, it was hard to find a family who would adopt. So hmm. I said I would adopt the dog and it was during the pandemic, so I couldn't fly to Korea to pick him up. So we had to fly him. So he flew by himself in a cargo all the way from Incheon, Korea to Los Angeles. And I flew to LA to pick him up, had to take another flight to come to Salt Lake. And now he's here with me. So, yeah. So I've heard of COVID puppies and COVID dogs, and this is probably the the biggest extent, right? The biggest travel, you know, for both sides to, uh, to, to make this match happen. So that's awesome. Well, what's, uh, can you describe your dog? Is it, you said, uh, your dog's a mixed breed, but. Yeah. When, whenever someone asks me like, what kind of dog do you have? I say 
a stubborn one because <laughs> he doesn't uh people don't really know this breed he's 50% he's half jindo the korean traditional breed and the other half is just mixed a bunch of things so he's small he he can be very good at pretending to be a good dog and it's good thing that he's cute that makes him um bearable i guess sometimes when it's hard to sure. deal with him yeah. yeah so very cool well that is that is a good reason you know to make sure that your your new pup your friend your dog is is uh, well taken care of and and provides you company as well so that's uh that's definitely a good why i think a, a lot of people who've been on the show have talked a lot about uh their pets or animals being able to spend time with them so that is definitely a good why so you mentioned that you've been working from home for two, two and a half years now. And what was the one thing about working in an office that was the hardest for you to give up? Ooh, that's a great question. I would say the in-person interaction, for sure. I love uh, talking to people and being there. And another thing was a designated space for work. And when you leave the workplace, when you leave the office, you leave the work there. As long as you don't check your phone and laptop, like work emails, you leave it there. But since you're working from home, work is kind of constantly in your face, uh, especially if you don't have a separate workplace, like sure. separate office space in your home. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, right? That's interesting that that's one of the the reasons you just leave it. Work is work and home is home. So uh, that mm -hmm. if you don't have that clear separation, then uh, you're right. That's, that's, that's a good uh, point. So speaking about the work side of things, you know, you're a talent acquisition partner. And mm -hmm. the question I've got is how has talent acquisition changed from 12 months ago when we were in the great resignation, everybody was leaving for bigger and better things to, mm -hmm. to today? Oh, I feel like there was great shift in the market. Uh, one year ago, I think it was definitely the candidates who were choosing between several companies. Which one do I want to go to? But now that we've had big layoffs in the market companies, I, I feel like the power shifted back to the employers. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And it's kind of sad to go on LinkedIn uh, these days because I see so many uh, layoff posts, so many, what do you call those? those the green badges. Yeah, yeah, the, the green, green uh, badges. badges, yeah. Yeah, and it actually hurts to see so many people going through that because it's not just somebody who doesn't have work, it's a household. And I feel like going through a job loss could cause... It's almost traumatic experience. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. So I think thinking back to your role today where you're mm -hmm. a talent acquisition professional, what characteristics or personality traits have you noticed where highly successful remote workers they typically possess? Like, how do you know someone who's going to be in a remote role? They're going to make it. They're, they're going to do well because of what, what traits? That's a great question. I think... I would share two of our my current employer's core values, which are be open and assume the best. With all of the written communications, without the body language, because not all of the communications are done over Zoom, right? 
you're sending right. slacks, you're emailing. So trying to be open in your communications and when something sounds a little bit off, being able to assume the best, giving uh, give them the benefit of doubt and and then to be open to have difficult conversations, maybe a little bit uncomfortable conversations to make sure that you address those things. I think those are critical communication skills. And another characteristic I would say is we're definitely finding people who are passionate about their work, people who see their work as their crafts so that you don't have someone constantly checking on you, watching you, like, are you getting things done? Um, These people love what they do. I'm seeing that people who are passionate about their work, people who see their work as their crafts are thriving in this environment. They're the ones who can get things done without somebody looking over them. Yeah. They're self-directed, right? They're self-motivated, self-directed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good answer. Conversely, are, you, are there any red flags? Like when you're going through the the hiring process and you're seeing some candidates and it's again for a, a role that's 100% remote, are there any like red flags for like, nope, this is not going to work for this culture. This person says they're a hard worker. They're, they're exhibiting ways they're not going to be a hard worker and we're going to have to, you know, babysit them. Like what are the things that you see and, and hear from candidates that, uh, are dead giveaways that they're not going to work out for a remote first culture? Yeah, that's a great question. It's it's definitely the written communication skill. When you're working in the office, yeah, of course, you have to use emails and slacks to um, communicate with other people, but mm-hmm. you have a lot more in-person communication as well. So if you could make it by, that, that was totally fine. But now that you have to have a lot more written communication, you have to be able to deliver what you're thinking, like share your ideas in a concise and clear way. So if you're not able to do that, that's that's a no. And another thing, you have to know the line between casual and not okay pretty, uh, pretty well. Like I'm wearing a cap right now and I was wearing a cap in my interviews with candidates today and we ask the candidates, and this is for just my company at the moment, but like, hey, you don't need to dress up. We're not expecting you to dress up. But that doesn't mean you can take the Zoom calls on your phone while you're sitting on the bed. You know what I'm saying? And, and yeah, yeah. surprisingly, it does happen. So hmm. I guess those Zoom etiquettes, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, those Zoom etiquettes are uh, critical skills nowadays. That's how you present yourself. Yeah. So when, when you were talking about the, the casual nature just now, about mm-hmm. your, you know, you said you're wearing a ball cap. I thought for some reason you were going to go with people get too comfortable, you know, like because they're mm-hmm. hanging out in their home office, living room or whatever, and they're engaging with uh, another colleague that's based in a home office setting. I thought maybe you were seeing the lines blurred, right? Because you, you're still at work at the end of the day, right? You'd be wearing right. a t-shirt and a hat. But if you get too casual, right, where that bl- those lines blur of, are you at work or are you talking to right. someone that's like at a bar or at a softball game, you know, kind of thing. So do you see that a lot too, where that's maybe they get too comfortable too quick uh, in like in the interview process or, you know, in the onboarding process? Mm, I think I've seen during the interview process where the candidates have definitely 
crossed the lines where they just got too comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost common sense to like depending on the meeting, depending on the interviews, depending on uh, who I meet, I might change the background, I might change what I wear, even if it's a Zoom call. So knowing that remote work doesn't mean you can do whatever you want to do on Zoom call. Yeah, that awareness is common sense, also, but also critical. Sure. It's funny how common sense, we sort of agree that it's like a generally accepted or generally known thing, but yep. then you see some, you see and hear about some crazy things that happen on, you know, calls or with other organizations. So maybe uh, common sense is not always common. <laughs> yeah, which is very sad. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's pivot a little bit. You talked about your aspiration of being a comedian. So how much of your work and working with candidates makes it into your comedy routine? Ooh, so far, none of it, because I haven't really worked on becoming a comedian yet. So I actually thought about, okay, do I need to take that out of my LinkedIn profile title? Is that title? That section? Headline? Yeah, the headline. Yeah, the headline. Right. Um, Because I haven't had much time to work on it. And I thought, let's not kill my dream myself, right? Like, let's keep that alive. Sure. Let's let's have those un- uncomfortable conversations where people ask me, hey, how's your comedy gig going type of thing? I'm like, I you mean, like on a podcast? Gig. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I want that. I want that reminder. I want someone to ask me, hey, you said that your dream was become- to become a comedian. Like, are you working on it? And I was like, let's let's use that as motivation. And so far, I haven't used my recruiting experiences as my sources, they haven't been that much fun. Like I can't really think of, yeah. And, and I'm, I think I'm more conscious about offending someone. Like I don't, I don't want any of my candidates to feel bad about themselves. That's, that's, that's one thing. I don't want to be a recruiter who laughs about, the candidates behind their backs. I really yeah, root for everyone. And if they're open to feedback, I'm willing to share feedback, like all of those things. Cause like I said, as job loss, job hunting, those are those are hard tasks yeah, and I serious things for them. people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Especially yeah. now in this environment. You know, a year ago maybe it was it, you know, people had picks of, of offers. Now mm-hmm. it's like getting a call back and getting ghosted by a recruiter. Yeah. Is, uh, you know, it was like a mentally, it, it takes its mental toll on people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the length is just getting longer and longer. People are going without jobs for, I remember a, a year ago when somebody was laid off, they would start another job in two weeks, in three weeks. But now we're seeing people posting that they have been job hunting for last three months, four months. And that's got to be. Yeah, that's got to be taxing, not just them, but also on people around them. So Yeah, absolutely. So thinking about that, I mean, do you think that people who were remote work first or remote work, you know, advocates who may have gone through a job loss are like, mm-hmm. get me whatever. I'll go to the office six days a week and commute two hours a day. I mean, do you feel like that, that there's, they're kind of shifting away from their 
not morals, right? But if they're like their guiding principles are, I want to be remote work and, and, you know, be able to live in the country and be with my family, that kind of thing. In this environment, they're like, nope, I'll take the first thing possible because I got to put food on the table. Yeah, that's a that's another great question. I think it really depends on the situation. There are some people who just need to pay the bills right away. The, they will take anything. But at the same time, what's difficult is there are remote workers who had jobs because it was remote work. Mm. They cannot take in-office or in-person jobs. It's just not possible. That's where these arguments come in, right? How remote work is more inclusive. It serves people who like single moms or disabled people, people with different situations. So if you are in that situation, you want to, you kind of need another remote work. You don't have the uh, luxury of choosing. So, and, and I think sometimes people view that as like, oh no, you want the luxury of remote work, but sometimes you have to think the other way saying, no, they don't have the luxury of being able to go to the office. Like I say that I stay home, uh, that I love remote work because of my dog. But at the same time, sometimes I really want to go to the office, but I feel really guilty if I leave my dog at home for eight hours. Sure. So it's a it's my res- responsibility to stay home and spend time with him. It's just not... I'm just not saying, oh, no, I don't want to go to work because I want to spend time with my dog. No, it's my responsibility as dog owner to make sure that he stays happy. So, yeah, those are kind of, yeah, those are kind of my thoughts. Yeah, we had a we had a guest a couple episodes ago. Uh, She's a military spouse and, Mm. you know, I'm not from a military family, so I, I didn't have that perspective. But, you know, one of the things that she talked about was that you know, military families tend to move around right. could be pretty often. Mm-hmm. And just because you're a military family doesn't mean that, you know, your spouse who is uh, in the military is the sole breadwinner. You know, there's oftentimes right. people situations where they need the two incomes. Mm-hmm. And if you're forced to move because of the military is moving your family mm-hmm. and you're not able to continue a job and you've got either time where right. you're unemployed or you have to settle for a job that um, is is not paying you enough, which you were making. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's again mm-hmm. that takes its toll on the family. So definitely, uh, remote work is the right situation for people to to make sure they're contributing and you know have that stability in their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. So I googled the UXR and because I had no idea what it was, and so yeah. Google told me that it stands for User Experience Research. And according to a company called Ethos App, it's the process of observing observing, and studying the behaviors, needs, and emotions of users and leveraging those insights to enhance your experiences. So why is it such a secret love with the UX, UXR for you? <laughs> uh, it's, it's secret love because I'm not pursuing it openly. Well, I guess then I put it on the headline of LinkedIn. Right. Um, I I love watching people, observing them, and learning what their needs are and being able to meet those needs. And UX research sounds like the perfect field for doing that. So, yeah. Good. Well, it's not so secret anymore. 
It's it's not. It's not. But it's another thing that I put in the headline to remind myself. Hey, remember you love yeah. this thing. Yeah. Good. You know, we talked a little bit about um, what you missed from the office, and and one of it was you could leave work at the office, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's physically separate from your home. So how do you make sure your work time doesn't creep into your non-work time since it's all same place? Ooh, yeah. I, I've tried a few things so far. I had two desks, one desk for one desk with my work laptop and the other one with my personal laptop. I tried that one. I tried setting up alarms, but nowadays... My dog actually helps a lot because he, he's got to go on a walk. So it's around 4.30, 5 p.m. And he, for some reason, he just knows. When I close my work laptop, he just looks at me right away. Are we going? So then <laughs> that's the first thing that I do when I get off work. I take my dog out. And that physical distance actually helps me to transition back to my my life. Yeah. So I take him out and come back and get to dinner right away, those types of things. So yeah. And I tried not to I've tried two desk thing. I've been trying one desk thing. I might go back to two desks. I'm still figuring things out. Good. So it sounds like that that's a ritualistic thing, you know, where your dog recognizes click, here's a laptop, time for mm-hmm. a walk, there's your commute home. And, yep. you know, then it's your normal routine, right? Once uh, once you get home. So that's, that's pretty yep. cool. You talked about on the survey that one of the best pieces of advice you gave was, now you're your own manager, be a good supervisor. In mm. your opinion, how does one be a good supervisor, you know, when it comes to being a remote worker? In my opinion, you have the balance. You have the balance of pushing and also giving yourself some grace. I know a few people who were feeling guilty for going on walks during their lunchtime. And that's that's too much. That's not a good supervisor. Right. A good supervisor will say, no, go and take a walk. Go get some fresh air and come back, right? But also a good supervisor will tell you, no, go... Don't go lay down on the bed right after lunch. That's not a good idea. So I think having that right balance of pushing, keeping the line, and also know when to give yourself breaks and to give yourself permission, um, I, th- I think that means a good supervisor for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good best practice. I, I know for me personally, I, I saw my hybrid um, worker. So a couple days a week, I go mm-hmm. into an office couple the rest of the time I'm, I'm working from home and there's times where I'm just blocked out meeting after meeting after meeting, you know, so mm-hmm. like, you know, seven to six, it could be meetings all day. Right. And there's times where I'm just like, listen, I just need to program a half hour walk, you know, around mm-hmm. the block around here, or if I'm in the office, so I'll, you know, walk around the complex there just because it's it can't, I can't just be sitting and available. And I don't know how efficient that is, right? Like there's so many things, actions and discussions and jumping from topic to topic that it's like, this can't be good for me, right? So I have to force myself to like, this is just me time. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I don't think people realize that sometimes in the office, you have those breaks more often and they just happen more naturally. If you have somebody come up to you and ask you how you're doing, right? 
mm-hmm. then you get to have that five or 10 minute conversation that's non-work related. That's that's kind of a break from your work. And you're you don't feel guilty about it because you're physically at work. Right. And and I feel like those natural breaks, you gotta be able to give yourself those um when you're working at home by yourself. Go and get a drink. And by drink I mean something not the adult beverage kind, right? Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Those types of things. Um I was thinking the other day, I wanted to go to the, I wanted to go to office that day, but I looked at my calendar and it was packed with meetings and calls. And I was like, this is not a good day to go to the office. Right, right. Because I won't be able to focus. So the, I, I feel like that kind of, sh- that says something about going into the office, that it's not just packed with work when you're actually in the office. And it should be the same way when you're at home. Yeah. And get a bit of balance, get some work, get some Mm -hmm. interaction, get some movement in your day. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. good. So in the survey, we said, what are your three must-haves? And you you put comfortable clothes. So what uh, what type of clothing do you recommend that checks both the comfort box and professional enough box? I, I wear really comfortable stuff. So I do I wear something different for professional stuff maybe i will not wear a ball cap that i think that's okay that's my my line and i've been feeling little self-conscious about my background and i want to do something about it but at the same time this is me like this is authentic me and i want my zoom background to show it as well and sometimes i talk about those kind of things with the candidates when i'm on the call like those stack of boxes, that's where my dog. I saw your dog, my, yeah. Yep. My dog just goes up the stairs. And yeah, those boxes are my stairs for my dog. And and it sparks conversations. Like, I feel like my Zoom background is my desk in the physical office. And you, when you go over to someone's desk, they have family pictures, this and that. They're personal things, right? So I think right. I still want to keep some of that element in okay. my, yeah, in my remote work as well. Huh. That's interesting because, I mean, for me at work, whenever I'm on calls, I just have the corporate, you know, official official corporate background and then uh, mm-hmm. doing that. And so, no, it's nice. You're right. Because you're right. I mean, in the traditional workplace, everyone had their own knickknacks and, you know, yeah. conversation pieces. So, no, that, mm-hmm. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, then um, you know what they care about, right? They exactly. Yeah, what makes them the them. office stuff or Game of Thrones stuff, right. something. Yeah. Right. So, one of the last questions here. So, as a talent acquisition partner, what's the most inappropriate thing you've seen a candidate or new employee wear, either in person or remotely? Any any surprises for, from you? Ooh, I don't think I remember anything. Hmm. I think the most surprising things were. People taking calls on their bed and Ooh. constantly moving the camera. Huh. So it was, I. it's going to be a podcast, so I don't know how you're going to show it, but like they will hold their phones and kind of not talk to the camera and they will talk just like that and constantly moving the the phone. Oh and yeah, that's not going to work. I just thought, I, I want to, I want to tell him I want to coach him, 
on this, but if you don't have a good trust relationship, it's it's hard to share feedback, right? Like not everyone right. welcomes feedback. So yeah, I, I think that was the worst one that I saw. Yeah. It's interesting. So yeah. it reminds me of there's a, there's a gentleman, older gentleman, he's probably late fifties, you know, in his career, maybe early sixties mm-hmm. in his career. And I was on an interview panel. It was during COVID. We were interviewing him during, uh, you know, through Zoom. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it was, but he had his camera just like on his bald spot. Like it was like you couldn't see his face and none of us knew him. So we didn't have the heart to just say, yeah. like, we can't we can't see you. Can you adjust your camera? Because mm-hmm. we didn't, you know, we didn't know what right. his situation was. But, um, but it was kind of like... If we felt kind of bad because, you know, maybe it was, a, you know, like a, an age thing. So he just wasn't mm-hmm. used to the technology. And, and but anyway, that was, um you know, it was like a 45 minute panel interview. And we we're just oh. staring at this man's, you know, bald spot the whole time. So it's, uh yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's definitely a story. Yeah, I, uh it's, it's a skill that I'm trying to learn, like trying to have, difficult conversations and maybe being able to deliver some news without rubbing someone the wrong way. And maybe next time it happens, I'll be able to share the feedback with the candidates. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, Sue, thank you so much for your time. Before we go, do you have some time for rapid fire questions? Uh, Sure. All right. We'll make it easy. We'll make it easy. Okay. Um, So number one, do you see broad adoption of a four-day work week in the next 10 years? Ooh, ah, next 10 years. Maybe maybe 15 to 20 years. Yes. I'll be retired by then, so. I know. That doesn't help me. I know. I, it's, I'll, yeah, that's not going to help me much either. So, but right. I think there's, with the new generation, what they want I think there will be some movement towards that. Yeah. Well, that and like AI is just going to take our jobs, right? So there's not going to yep. be need for a lot of us. So why? Yep. Who needs work, right? Who needs right. work? We can cram it all in four days. Yes. Uh, number two. So there's a question. My personal question, just curiosity. So do follow-up mm-hmm. emails and notes from job seekers after the interview actually sway decision makers? Hmm. So far, I haven't seen a case. It's not because the candidate wasn't persuasive enough. It's because the interviewers have already reviewed all of the information. Got it. Okay. That's kind of what I assumed. But I know when I was interviewing people for different roles, Mm -hmm. whenever we we came back for the debrief, we would always just say, hey, you know what? I did get a follow-up email from from Joe, and and that was Mm -hmm. kind of them to do so. Right, right. The, I think that's that's the main purpose of the follow-up email. And when we usually reject the candidates, we kind of, we try to let them know, especially if it's a competitive role. It's not because of something that they're lacking. It's just a, it was just a very yeah. tight competition. Yeah, so cool. with the follow-up email, you don't burn the bridge and mm-hmm. it's always a good practice. Yeah. Number three, so what LinkedIn trend are you over by now? Carousel? Is that what you call it? Carousel? Oh, the carousels where they tell you, like, here's seven ways to do whatever, and then you got to click through it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's like clickbait, right? Yeah. 
And I've made them for other people before, and I was gonna make some of it too, but this time I feel like I feel like it's it's like those YouTube videos that explain really simple things in five minute video, like oh. when you could have just said it in ten seconds. Yeah. So yeah. I I never really thought about that. I guess that's the thing. I'm so interested in getting to the end of the carousel. I just didn't ever boil down like what are they really trying to tell me. So right, we're just like clicking through it. Right, I'm like programmed to just keep tapping. Exactly. Instead of reading them, it's like when you say next when you're when you used to when you used to install those software. Oh yeah. It's like do you agree next? Agree next? Agree next? You're signing your life away, but yes, I accepted all of that. Mm Hmm couple more questions here. So number four, how often do job offers get rescinded because of what's discovered on a candidate's social media? Mm, none in my case. Okay. All right. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we've hired, maybe it's because I haven't uh, worked a lot on like entry positions. Sure. So yeah, these are usually seasoned professionals and they know, um, they know how to present themselves on social media. And if you have the right interview process, and because these are more senior positions, we do have more robust interview process, then we've already checked your profiles. And if we we probably have rejected already. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And uh, I guess the last question I've got is just, what's the most memorable way a job candidate stood out to you? Ooh, there was a candidate that... I I looked at his resume and I wasn't sure, but he was a referral and I said, no, let's give it, let's give him a shot. And I got on the call and he was the most, he was an older gentleman and he was most genuine and most passionate person that I've talked to. And, and I, I think I actually kind of teared up a little bit because wow. I, I had my assumptions like, this type of resume and like he's more of an older gentleman i'm not sure if it's a fit but at the end of the call i was just like i'm on your side and i really want to advocate for you so that's cool um, yeah it was a wake-up call for me and it was just a like a really memorable interview that i've ever had yeah that's great i was i was thinking of like something off the wall or zany or something but uh no that's pretty cool that uh you know, in that, what, 35, 40 minute, you know, kind of screening type discussion, mm-hmm. they, they made an impact. So that's great. Mm-hmm. So, well, Sue, thanks so much. Like I said, this is our end of our season one and glad we can get you on the podcast. And what's the best way for people to get a hold of you if, if they want to find more about Sue, find find your first gig, uh, your comedy gig and, and whatnot. So uh, they could just look for Sue. Lee, Sudan Lee, S-O-O-R-Y-U-N on LinkedIn and I'll probably pop up. Yeah. Great. Well, and what we'll do is we'll also post uh, your LinkedIn on the show notes. So Sue, thanks so much. Appreciate you spending time with us and uh, thanks for being on the show. Hey, you're welcome, Don. It was a pleasure. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. Many, many thanks to Sue for her time on this episode. I am so glad she was able to come on the show to tell her story, not only because she is a remote worker, but also from her perspective, working in talent acquisition. It's a tough time right now out there. 
Soon I talked about how sad it is seeing all the LinkedIn posts with multiple companies laying off lots of talent. We talked about a lot of things during our chat, and my biggest takeaway is Sue's empathy. I was actually in the job market about a year ago. I was in a different situation where I was employed, not looking, and called a recruiter back to check my market value. Even though I was employed, there were times during that six to seven week long recruitment process where I was anxious, I was nervous, and I wanted to know where I stood in the process. At times, I felt ghosted as calls and emails went unanswered for days, maybe even a week or two passed as well. So I can't imagine how candidates who may or may not have savings, severance, or a spouse or partner to depend on are feeling during these long periods of unemployment. That's where Sue's comments really stuck with me. She talked about how she advocates for her candidates, she roots them on, and is willing to provide feedback if they are open. I think so many times our experiences with recruiters is they are your friend or advocate only if they need you. But in Sue's case, it's good to know there are caring and empathetic humans on your side. We need more Sue's in the talent and recruitment world. Well, folks, this is a wrap on Season 1 of the Work From Home Forever podcast. We're taking a few weeks off in the summer and plan to launch Season 2 by the end of August. We are always looking for guests to be a part of the show next season. So please go to wfhforever.com slash tellyourstory, fill out the brief survey, and we will reach out with next steps. In the meantime, we plan to share feed drop episodes from other indie podcasters who want to share career advice with you. We will also re-air some of our earlier episodes from the season. Thank you again for listening to the show. I'm your host, Don, and we will be back later this summer with all new episodes in season two.